the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode number nine, recorded Friday, October 19th, 2012. The Equal Time Extron Fanboy Hour. It is time for EdTech, your monthly roundup of technology managers from different various points in the education spectrum. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, with us this month, as always, is Greg Brown. He is at UCLA. Go Bruins. Thank you, Tim. Greetings from sunny Southern California. Yeah, it's 50 here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go to the other extreme and talk to Scott Tyner, who is already under a foot of snow in Maine. And, at and, Bates and College. now with earthquakes. And, yeah, now with earthquakes. Yes, we had a... a- uh, uh, we had our whole house shake the other day, so Greg, we're, we're right there. We know exactly how you guys feel. It's warmer here, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had to choose the earthquakes and the snow or the earthquakes and the warm weather, yeah, I'm going to go with Greg. <laughs> so, how are you, Mr. Tyner? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Duck and roll or something. Uh, <laughs> last but not least, Matthew Silverman. Um, he is also on the East Coast, but much farther south. He is at George Mason University. How are you, sir? Doing well, and Fairfax is actually doing its best impression of sunny California right now at a nice 68 degrees. Wow, very yeah. nice. Actually, let me chime in here real briefly. We actually, uh, you, you know, on our web pages, I'm sure we all have the pictures of the 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 happy shiny students and the the vague positive, mm-hmm. warm fuzzy aphorisms that prove to prospective people how wonderful of a university our our uh, respective uh, uh, places are. We we literally have a uh, slogan on our homepage right now, UCLA.edu, that says. 329 days of sunshine a year isn't a forecast, it's an outlook. Wow. Hey, so that's what you get from an elite university. Jeez. It's not just a forecast, it's an outlook. And one one has to wonder how many PR dollars went into making that happen. More oh, than that all... was at least a month of work and several committee meetings, mm-hmm. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars to consultants, and I I think unlike most cases, I'm not going to say anything at this point. Any, <laughs> no, you can't. any any We're further not... comments, perhaps being shall we say career limiting. <laughs> We're not jaded education workers, are we? Any stretch not of the imagination. All. All right, um, let's get away from, you know, uh, career-ending conversation and talk about, you know, um, Infocom. Hey, that's cool. Uh, we'll talk about them this month, a bunch of stories about tablets, uh, everything from the big ones to the little ones, and also Extron because, um, yeah, that's our favorite topic, it seems to be. But first, we're going to talk about another company that starts with E, Epson. Uh, this story comes from our buddies over at Rave Publication, Epson has debuted the $99 replacement lamp. Hello? <laughs> Did anybody hear me? 90 100 bucks. all right? Uh, this comes to the world of, you know, 300 to 600 sometimes $900 replacement lamps. Ah, uh, two fifty. Two. Well, I I have paid seven hundred dollars for a replacement lamp. So I'm recently, 
in the last two years. Old xenon lamps. Yeah. Were Ooh, although that 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 was like the price of small Yugo or something. Well, see, it was a size of one too. Um, <laughs> so okay, let's let's start with this, guys. First of all, Greg, is this a game changer and and makes would this make people want to go to Epson, or are we at the point where these suckers are more are better thrown away than anything? And yeah, it's a hundred bucks to keep um, you know a, a sub thousand dollar projector going my my first thought was that it was just finally confirmation of what we all suspected the last you know 10 20 years that the lamp manufacturers have been screwing us <laughs> pardon my french um i i think it's largely a bit of a non-issue i mean my my, my newest uh, small projector that i'm buying which is like 3500 lumens i think you know, it's coming with a six thousand hour lamp, and hello, that's that's more than many of those are going to get in classroom service. I mean, I have I have some auditorium projectors that are, you know, have cumulative times in them of you know eight or nine thousand hours, but you know, some of the smaller rooms, I I some of them are never going to have their lamp changed and and they're moving further and further in that direction all the time so i think it's just a combination of they they see the writing on the wall with the led and the lcd so yeah i'm i'm bah humbug uh scott is 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 greg right where we are at that point where it's going to be cheaper and and either that or you're going to take the projector out of service well before the lamp even gets out. So it's Epson being the first one to the table to kind of do a mea culpa. All right, we got to get it. If you do keep it beyond six thousand hours, here's a hundred buck lamp. Yeah, I'm, as always, Greg is right. Um, <laughs> wow. <it's> not, <laughs> wow. <you> know, <laughs> I will send that to you in MP3, Greg. Right? It huh? is. Uh, it, it's just. It, and it's. It's so kind of silly, I think, really, to even go and say we're going to sell them for a hundred dollars, because you know it. I'm thinking of even my busiest classroom. I might replace that lamp after two years. It probably goes at least two and a half or three years. So maybe I replace a lamp one time in, in a projector's life cycle. So saving 200 bucks, you know, off a lamp, is, it's just not going to make me make a decision. I think, though, and, and this might be a, a bit of a theme we see today, I think that they're really aiming at the K-12 market who is very afraid of buying something and then having to budget three, $400. You know, you buy something in K-12, that thing's lasting you 10 years. Yeah. I, I was in a school, in elementary school a few weeks ago. They had the original IMAX, like the color, the blue ones. They still had those there. Really? Yes. Wow. Oh, wow. So, I, I mean, I was just like, I don't even know how old this is. I mean, it, it's 10 years older. So you know, you buy a, a projector, that you know, it scares them away if they got to spend four hundred dollars on a lamp. So I think for us, it's nothing. I think that they might really be kind of marketing to that K twelve world who is really afraid of future expenses. Expenses. Well, and and let me do my own little disclosure here. I saw one of the projectors that I use almost on a yearly basis on this list. So, I mean, the the community college market may be. Let's be honest. It's it's somewhere between K through twelve, and and the big four year universities. Not only in the fact that we only do two years, but our budgets are also you know slightly bigger than high school, but not quite as big as the university. So I'm looking at this going, hmm, you know. So my my six seven hundred dollar seven hundred dollar projector just went from being a total cost of ownership at around twelve hundred dollars to maybe you know eight hundred dollars now. 
Um, but Matt is is you know Scott has a point though where you know what you guys are are going to be moving them out before well before the lamps are even well, done. I'm going to agree and disagree with Scott. I absolutely agree on the K12 side. I mean, our environment I guess is a little bit more high utilization. We're looking at we were actually just talking about this the other day about twelve thousand hours over the lifespan of a projector, um, and whatever the actual rating is in reality that works out to about the initial bulb plus three bulb replacements over its lifetime. Okay. So this is kind of real for us. I mean, it, the, the the models they announced actually aren't ones we use, so that was a little bit disappointing. But I did notice that uh, the model we did use went down from about uh, $400 to about $300 a bulb. Uh, given that the last bulb order we did, I think, was something like $52,000 for about half a year. Um, this, is, this is a big deal. I mean, you know, we have over 200 projectors installed. If we're saving, say, even $100 a projector a year in bulbs, that, that, that's huge. I mean that's that's training dollars. That's that's not, we can use that money elsewhere. Um, and actually, one of the more amusing things that I it just occurred to me is I, I know there's a huge deal about the ninety-nine dollar price point, but I was surprised that they never announced uh, back when the new Brightlink series came out. All of those are actually at eighty-dollar price points on their bulbs, um, and and that was actually like nine months ago. So some, sometimes PR departments work in very mysterious ways. Well, you know, eighty dollars doesn't have quite the ring as ninety nine dollars does. Yes, <laughs> that's why everything is nine ninety nine or ninety nine ninety nine and all that jazz. So, yeah. Wow, Matt, those usage—I mean, those usages blow me away. So, when you order a set of lamps, I mean, you, you're ordering hundred, hundred and fifty lamps. We we, we generally uh, do at this point to get some uh, bulk discounts, uh, six month orders of lamps. Um, and I, I know when I was talking to one of our managers and we have, we have three campuses, but we have one, our largest campus orders lamps for everyone. Uh, he told me he did a, I think it was a $52,000 lamp order Jeez. around May when we did our last lamp order. Uh, um, I mean, we, we budget roughly $2,000 a room per year in consumable costs between lamps, replacement parts and things like that. Actually, it's, no, it's twelve hundred. That included a little labor in there, so about twelve hundred dollars a year per room. What's uh, your what What's your runtime per projector per room, roughly? Um, Ours is, you know, a thousand plus or minus. You know, less in oh, smaller rooms, more in bigger rooms per year. Wow. We're, yeah, we're, we're over two thousand uh, two thousand hours uh, runtime a year. As we are, yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there are uh, some of our projectors that I mean, I'll replace, I'll replace a lamp at least once every six months, and that's that's around two thousand hours. I mean, we're we're we're, we're, we're like I said, we're we're on a five year lifespan for projectors, and we were actually just doing some math yesterday on this, and we were estimating we'll run twelve thousand hours in uh, five years. Is kind of what we're doing our math based on. Can I ask you a and, question real real quick? And I'll, I'll, this is kind of a side question, but we we did the same thing. We have a a refresh cycle. Ours is actually at seven years. How did you come up with five years? Uh, five years is our warranty on a projector. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I, I, no, it, that it, makes it, too darn much sense. It does. Uh, we, we actually That's logic simple. there, boys. It, it's a very simple cycle we have for all of our equipment. It's uh, five years on projectors. We have five warranties. We get the three-year plus the two-year extend. 
Uh, we do five years on computers, and we have them warrantied all five. And we were on five years for AV when we were analog, but when we moved over to digital and to deal with the higher cost structure, we moved to a seven-year cycle. Okay. Uh, we only, on that stuff, what is it now? Crestman, is, what, is it three or five that we get? I forget what it is. I think it's five if you're an it's education. Five, yeah. yeah um, but, if you're you know. A-plus program, yeah. We have we haven't even got past five yet, so I'll let you know in probably about three years if that seven year was a good call or not. Scott, do you guys have a, a refresh? Like this is how often we we automatically take out our projectors. Yeah, we do a um, we do everything based on a seven year um, cycle for everything, and so we just take our entire installed base, divide uh, by. Um, Oh gosh, I'm embarrassed. What is it? Fifteen percent now? Uh, what, that's what's <laughs> somewhere's around fifteen percent, and that's our replacement. And so we keep lists, and we try and do it every seven years. But frankly, if we see rooms that get used more, they might get bumped up to a, in a room that's used less. But it's averaging on seven years. Okay, Greg, do you guys have one uh, as well? I I'm going by makes and models. I I have some. Uh, I'll, hey, I'll throw them under the bus. In focuses and some proximas that. You know, they have two-year warranties, and barely any of them are making the two, three years without the wow. the, the yellow screen oh, wow. of, of death. Uh, meanwhile, I have about 40 NEC GT6000s, which are all coming up on eight years old, which, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm too busy replacing all the Proximas in fo- and in-focuses <laughs> right now. The, the NECs will probably soldier on for a while longer and be my last four by three projectors. Good night. Good for them. That, yeah, I, I think I've had I think I've had two of the forty fail in in eight years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they 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 those are those are bulletproof projectors. I don't have a lot of NECs right now, but um, been very happy with those. We we've had similar results with apps, and I'd say probably less than ten percent of our install has had issues. And yeah. they they have a great warranty program. I mean, within a week we have a replacement projector. Can I tell uh, back? We because of that, uh, Matt. We moved to all Epson, and so when we started yep. this refresh program, we had some that you know we had buildings that we've been that have been put up the last ten or, ten or twelve years, and they were installed. The entire building was like the entire run was like Sanyo, or entire young run was was Sony, and we we had you know several of those of those dying, and in that time we started doing installs ourselves and we started with i think the s3 the, the epson s3 good lord six seven years ago and we just got to to those that we have that we've installed ourselves we get in there and we start taking these out and these suckers are still running <laughs> they're still on they, they not literally but yeah. they're still working they're still soldering on now i've got 20 yeah 20 20 projectors that i can you know take anywhere as you know a replacement for a week or you know to lend to someone who has an event off campus and they need a projector that they just need something to show on a, on a screen somewhere um so you're you're right we've had the same exact uh same exact experience with epson so not that i, I want to want to mention something else that we're talking about land price and there's something i just saw recently at a show which was a um laser LED hybrid projector, which I think we're going to see a lot more of, and I think it may be a game changer, though. Explain that to me, because I'm not... Um, I, I, to be honest, I have absolutely no idea how the technology works, but the short version is it's a sealed unit projector, there are no lamps, and, and they're rated at a 20,000-hour runtime. Holy so, cow. Yeah, supposedly, 
it's not it's you, you'll see a degrade i think in the first thousand hours of brightness but it should be a pretty after that initial degrade it should be a pretty steady brightness for the rest of the lifetime I, I believe they use LEDs for the red and the green because they're bright enough, and it uses a laser for the blue because blue LEDs aren't bright enough. Huh. Okay. And so, Matt, how do you think uh, that? How do you so think that some of be them a have a color changer? wheel in there? Well, and and, and with it's actually something Scott you brought up, which is the total cost of ownership equation. Uh, the price point I heard on one of these is about. Two to two and a half times the price of what I'm paying now for a comparable traditional projector. And I was looking at I was saying, you know, if I was looking at $400 a bulb, which is about what I used to be paying apparently, I guess with this new bulb price change, we're now at $300 a bulb, which is cool. But at $400 a bulb, the increase I would pay on the front end is about equal with what would be my lifetime, uh, my life cycle cost of that projector. So the idea of not ever having to replace a bulb is kind of a cool proposition. Not only from a labor standpoint, but also from a downtime standpoint. Yeah. Well, and you guys have not hit upon the big one yet. What do all of these lamps have in common that a laser LED projector does not have? Mercury in the lamp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to become a great big green football at some point. Well, it will be, and you know that. <laughs> yes, it will be. I was going to say green Nazis, but I figured that would just get me in trouble, so yeah, I figured that was the safer way. Will, yeah. <laughs> and then you just said it anyway. <laughs> Sometimes I don't have that sense that way. Do I? You are from the West Coast, so you know. Yeah, well. Uh, yeah. But no, it, it, that is a good point, though. Not only from a labor it's all standpoint. All the sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is that makes your the, brain? The, the sunlight and the granola. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it, I'll be really interested to see that because I think, you know, it's it's like I'm with Tim on the fact that for me it's not all about money, but if it's about there's no lamp to blow up in there, there's no lamp to die, I can, you know, put that in a room and go check on it six years later. <laughs> that to me is is the big thing. That there's, it's the service aspect to the customer. All right, I'm going to be play devil's advocate and be the pessimist here. Okay, so what's going to go wrong with this sucker? Well, it has a laser. <laughs> I would think I would think the biggest issue for me is going to be you spend all that money, you know, and and th- four years down the road the technology's changed, and so you never do you ever really get the six, seven, eight years that you want out of it. That would be my question. Well, you you do if you have a, a seven year refresh cycle, man. I mean, it, if you if you're if you're Matt, then no, you're going to get the five years out of it. But if you have a longer refresh cycle, either because of financial reasons or because that's what your college decides to do, then yeah, I mean, you'll get you'll squeeze every last bit out of that. Right. Yeah. We're only seeing a, a little brief moment in time as far as their development too. I think this is all going to, you know, in, increase in that direction and become even more of a game changer over the next few years yeah. I mean I, I, I'm you know the big question is does it become the second coming of Elcos where one manufacturer brings it to market and that's it or does it really you know go to town and I, I think just be having lamp be going lamp and then we see where it goes from there yeah I do too 
All right. Uh, you are listening to EdTech. Thank you so much for doing so. Greg Brown is with us, Scott Tyner, and Matthew Silverman. We're going to move on, though, to one of Greg's neighbors, uh, the, uh, oh, the fine no. folks. The fine folks at Extron Electronics uh, has a couple of different um, press releases and, and things of that nature uh, this month. One, though, is it, it kind of hits us. Um, not really, but sort of. So so bear with me for a second. Um, they have a campus communication site now um and you know what as much as we give extron a hard time about you know not coming to infocom and other various things not shipping products when they say they're going to and all that kind of stuff i think this is actually a thing that they've done rather well i think yes it it it, it took some insight it took some forethought and i think that they have actually pulled off something here um, something I think actually that they have over their two closest competitors, which would be AMX and Crestron. Um, Scott, what do you think about uh, Extron's new uh, campus communication site? Well, I think that it is um, it's very targeted to K twelve, mm-hmm. and I think that that's very smart of Extron to do. And I think that one of the reasons we may um, sometimes get on Crestron's Extron's case a little bit. Um, is is that they they really do I think have um, some of the K twelve market um, un, they understand it well and and they focus a lot of time on it so you know it, again I got to put myself in the position of a, the person in a K twelve school who manages the technology which means you do everything you know the, and you're the only person who does it. And so now if, if I've got Extron coming in and telling me you can you know, monitor your AV stuff, you can manage your bell system, um, you can do announcements, you can do your, your um, intercoms with classrooms all through one system, that's really appealing to me. And, and I say that having worked in a public high school before and managing all those systems and they were all different systems and they were all very difficult to do. So for me, I, I think Extron has really hit the nail on the head here. Um, and, and I think it was, it was strategic of them, and I, I think it's going to be a, a hit, particularly compared to the other companies who will come into my college and, and try to get me to go get my facilities people on board with putting our heating systems. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Are you, you know? Who would do and, that? <laughs> you know, and but so this is really this is all under the technology manager's control in a local school. This is stuff they already take care of. So I think it's a really well thought out product. Matt Scott makes a very very good point um, because he's right. When you have one person, one decision maker, as it were, uh, that's who they're talking to. So do you think that that Extron has 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 got a hit on their hands with this? Yeah, I, I do. I, I've actually always thought um, Extron has, like Scott said, a better command of K-12. Um, I think some of the other you know, offerings in the K-12 space have been forced or awkward. Um, on the other hand, I always love how Extron tries to push K-12 on higher ed, which it's, it's just not the same. Um, I mean, when it comes to their enterprise products, I actually think they understand the enterprise educational environment much better uh, than if you look at RoomView or pro- similar products. Um, I've said it many times to Crestron. Um, it's, it's, you know, Global Viewer is, is something which makes sense if you're an educational administrator. So, you know, again, what Scott said, 
extending that in the K-12 space just makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. All right, Mr. Brown, they're your neighbors. You're right up the road. Um, is this something that, they, that they've done well and, and thought out, or is it just kind of um, a, a second thought to, to going after edu- or higher all, education guys? Always, always something they've done very well. That probably the, the, the thing I will give them the most credit for is uh, the way they sell to the education market. I mean, if, if you are any sort of an AV manufacturer and you want to sell into education, hey, just sit yourself down at the Extron website and take notes because, you know, I think, eight, I think Extron caters better to the education market better than anybody else in the AV industry. And, uh, you know, those all of us here in our at our colleges and universities i mean we can we can sit around and debate the finer points of extron versus crestron versus amx all day long and undoubtedly will but um you know like you other like you guys are saying you know for a, a primary or a secondary school district where it's you know one or a small group of tech guys and they're they're or girls and they're overworked and underfunded you know with the 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 people that extron can the the people and support and information and advice and guidance that extron is just standing by to jump in and provide um, you know, they're, they're going to eat, no pun intended, they're going to eat, eat a lot of people's lunch, are and are going to continue to eat a lot of people's lunches, particularly in the primary and secondary world. Okay, so that's the, if that is the case. And more power to them. Yeah, hey, more power to this, them. This is their forte. Go for it. You guys do a great job at it. Let, let me ask you this, and, and I'm going to ask a business question. If that's the case... Then why why don't they focus on that, and let that be their strong point and their strong suit, and, and not you know, um, I guess step into other areas that maybe takes away from their focus. It's kind of like the same argument I, I had with with Crestron and their shades. It's like why are you doing that? You know, I actually had a dream the other week oh, that wow. I was. Re- oh, this is gonna reading. be good. Yeah. I, I was I was reading an AV magazine and Extron came out with a document camera. <laughs> okay, you need some help. <laughs> <laughs> Professional therapy. Something. <laughs> Greg, Greg, Greg. Wow. Greg, ju- 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 just say no. Okay, oh my man. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy. Oh, boy. I think. Um, t- Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I was going to say, Tim. I, I think the answer there is that uh, you know, Extron for so long. I remember our our um, integrator would always call Extron the glue to to install. And they were. I mean, they, that's they, what right, and that's what they were. And but then I think that you know, the you know other companies in 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 the industry started you know going after some of that glue, and so they started to stretch and figure out what else they needed to do. But I, I actually think that you know, inside of Extron, they know what their goal is and they know that, that K through 12 is, is where their bread is buttered. And so, yeah, they're still going to provide some of this glue and they're still going to get – I mean, let's face it. They've got plenty of higher ed customers out there. Yeah. So it's not like you – know, and I also think that the two markets, K through 12 and higher ed, are, are different. How much communication, for example, do you have with K-12 people in your area? I'm imagining most of us not a lot, so it's not like we're 
in higher ed who might be frustrated with some of the st- stuff they do, you know, causing problems with their selling to K-12. No, no. So that's my take. No, I, 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 I'll just throw out there. I mean, maybe they have an internal plan. I'd just love to know what it is. Um, I, I, I honestly have not got the direction they're going in. I mean, it really started with coming out with configurable control systems and since then, they just seem to stick their toe into markets but never really finish. I mean, they bought that high-end uh, media distribution company but never really then did a lot with it. Uh, you know, XTP has kind of been, you know, slowly coming out, but it's not following industry trends like having, you know, integrated uh, uh, transmitters. So. I, I love the fundamentals of the, uh, of what they do, but it just I, I don't know where they're going with you know, with their product line. It just seems to be all over the place. Well, and as and, and as quick as I will be to pile on to them for getting into every market, you know, maybe not document cameras, at least not yet. Um, of <laughs> course, you know, maybe maybe there's some extron guy who's you know it, listening to this going. Damn, they know. <laughs> we um, left one in a bar. <laughs> oh, jeez. <Yeah. laughs> um, the, uh, but the, the thing is, everybody is doing it, and I'll fault them all for doing it. I mean, I was looking at, uh, talking to my Crestron guy, looking at his, his the speakers he was showing off at a oh, small God. event recently. You know, it, it seems to be the in thing right now, and I think it, I think it offends all of our delicate sensibilities to to some extent. Although, you know, I will give them props for that you can do some very sophisticated stuff with Extron stuff and. Uh, you know, small plug. One of the one of the folks we're trying to get maybe for not not the tech managers symposium here in Orlando, but potentially for Vegas in a year and a half is a friend of mine from USC here, University of Southern California. And you know, as much as it pains me to give props to USC because that's a little bit of a rivalry here in this town, um, they have a global viewer enterprise system that is just hooked up as part of this amazing uh, monitoring system where, you know, he, he was showing this off in, a, in uh, the, the AV for Education, uh, Power of AV for Education event in San Diego the other day that I was at. And he's there wirelessly on his iPad and he's scrolling through live images in all of the classrooms. And, and this is how they do, uh, you know, they're, they're much of their monitoring and troubleshooting and, and just, you know, scrolling through all of these, you know, pictures after, you know, hundreds of pictures of all of their classrooms live, wow. all of this being, uh, being part of, uh, enterprise and, and, and some other programs too. Uh, but just a really amazing setup. So you know, they, they, you, if you if you get into the programs there, into that program, you can do some pretty sophisticated stuff. Yeah, Greg, I think what you've hit on is if you're going to do it, do it right. Uh, Global VR, I've said this before, even on this show today, is an example of where Extron did it right. Mm-hmm. As much crap as I gave Extron for getting into speakers when they got into speakers, they've done speakers right. I buy a ton of them. Uh, a Crestron, on the other hand, is an example of, I think, doing speakers wrong. And I think it's as they keep on adding these little things, if they, they diminish the brand because 
you know, I go back when I started in this industry. I wanted an Extron switcher in every system I did because I knew I wasn't going to have a problem. And as, you know, a lot of these mega AV companies have started branching out into a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, I'm not sure if I feel I feel the brand gets diminished because they they release crap, to be honest. Well, and, let, and yeah, let me let me say maybe uh, uh, tone you know, uh, focus that point down a little bit further. <laughs> it it diminishes the product if they yeah. turn out crap. If they do it right, though, it helps build the product. With that, Ab- absolutely. That that that's yeah, thank right. you. Yes, I, I was going. I'm not sure where I was going with that. <laughs> well, no, no, and you make a good point though. Here's the thing: I have the same issues that Greg has with with Crestron speakers. Um, yeah. Not that they're bad or good or, or, or different. I just I don't think of Crestron and the speakers that I've heard are not you know oh my gosh, so I don't think of them when I think of a speaker. Oddly enough, I've had the same experience with Extron speakers as you have, Matt, and mm. and they are really really good. Now there are some of them that I, I'm not crazy about but most for the most part those ceiling speakers that they that they turn out and even the the for service mounted ones have been a really good product for the price point we we use a lot of them too and one of the the reaction of my guys here was that hey they looked at they clearly looked at the install end of things and how everybody else was doing their installs and came up with a speaker that came with all of the parts and was well thought out as far as the install side of things yeah. too. Yeah. So yeah, if you're going to come out with a me too product, I mean you've you've got to sit down and look at the competition and not just say how can how can we make one too, but okay, here's what's out here, can we make something better? And I think in most cases they've done that. I'm not sure that's something everybody thinks about. Well, yeah, and it, and it depends on the on the product too. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing that, and, and I don't know if it's engineering. I, I'm not that smart. One thing that they still keep, it, it seems like they keep getting hung up on, is this digital conversion. Um, they can do switchers, analog switchers, all day long, and they do them really well. It's this move to to digital that that it seems to be to be their hang up, and I'm not quite sure why. So I don't know. All right, let's move on to somebody else before we we uh, we, we we start bashing them because I don't want to do that. Um, a story out of Gizmodo. Yeah, we, we've we've loved on Extron for probably longer in the than than in the history of this show. I now. believe I, mean, I believe that is true. So you know, all clearly I, having a weak I, moment I get here, warm fuzzies or something. Um, so Apple's bread and butter for the last forty years, let's say, let thirty years. Sorry. Um, has been their their strategy at least in the very beginning was to get into the classroom and to get the you know get get our product in the hands of the youth and then when they grow up they're going to want to use nothing but that yeah that didn't quite turn out the way they wanted um and so amazon is going to try to do that same thing sort of um according to Am- to uh, to this gizmodo article amazon is getting kindles and kindle fires into the hands of the young into the classrooms and um, the question, the reason we, we talk about this is because we've got a couple different stories about, about tablets in the classroom this week. Um, Matt, is this something that just like 30 years ago was a great idea on paper, but is it what, what's going to carry the Kindle or the Kindle Fire to prominence over the iPad, or is it just, you know, Amazon trying to get a foothold in education? Well, 
it worked really, really well for Apple, I guess, back in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, we all remember, you know, the Apple, and I remember, uh, what, what was the little program with the turtle? What was it, Logo or something like that? Yeah. Oh, wow, Logo. yeah. Yeah. Um, and... It, there's definitely something about getting your product in front of an impressionable youth. So I, I think if they can get it in right or wrong, it'll help them in the long term. But it, they definitely have to view it as, you know, that long term strategy. I, I don't really know, you know, whether or not it's going to pay off in the short term. Greg, is this something that is like my, like Matt points out kind of worked for Apple? Is that what what uh, Amazon's doing here? Yeah. In a word. I, I, <laughs> World's shortest show. Yes, no, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's stories like this that, that, that just just convince me that every day I'm, I'm just taking another step on the, the inexorable march to being the cynical old tech guy here. And it's because it's like I, I read this and it's like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, you all wake me when you decide what you want to do. You know, it's uh, call, call me when the dust settles. I, I, great, I, I, t- uh, you know, competing with Apple, more power to you. You know, um, great. Let's see what happens. I think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. wow! Thanks for that insight. Craig. Wow. Okay. So, so Scott, we'll, we'll move on. We'll, we'll move on then. Uh, Scott, let's talk about that, and then let's talk about the very next story, which is the 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 um, apparently the inevitable uh, iPad Mini. Is that is that what Apple's doing here with, to kind of compete with Amazon and the, and the Fire, and and taking something that I think works personally because I have one, um, and, and making it smaller for smaller hands and this that and the other. I mean, what's what what is this going on here? Well, so I'll, I'll start with the, the, the Gizmodo article. And, and for me, I mean, I think that um, tablets in the classroom are the future. I think that it doesn't matter how you get them into, into a classroom, or, you know, whether you give them free or whatever you want to do. I think the real issue, whether it's K through 12 or higher ed, is making it really easy to use and manage. And I'm not sure that the Kindle is there yet. I know they refer to some places here about the Kindle to do that. You know, my daughter's got a Kindle, for example, and there's no video out options on it. So for me, you know, what's, what's the use of that in a classroom? Uh, we've been using AirPlay a little bit here at Bates. That's, that's got some just enormously power, powerful potential. So moving on, though, to the iPad mini. Um, listen, to me, this is um, – this wouldn't have happened if Steve Jobs was alive. I think uh-huh. that, in my opinion, who knows, maybe we'll find out that Steve Jobs planned this years ago. But to me, it's, it's Apple chasing somebody, and, and Apple's always led everybody. And, you know, so for me, I, I don't know. I'm like, what's the point of the iPad mini? Is my iPad is fine the size it is. I, I just I – don't, I don't get it, and I think that it's a, it's a different strategy than Apple's ever taken with anything. Okay, uh, go ahead. I'm going to say I, I, I'll kind of disagree about the I don't get it part. Um, I, I I was one a very early adopter to PDAs. I'm not sure if we actually remember that term anymore. But no, uh, brother, I, 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 you could not pull the Palm Pilot from my yeah. cold dead hands. But I'm with you. It, and the one that really got me, and I had like three of them, uh, was the Compact iPack. 
I don't know if anyone remembers that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of in, in about six inch, may, maybe close to seven. Inch, I don't know, the, with the case on it, the damn thing weighed a ton. Uh, but it, it, it was it was neat. And, you know, when I finally got my iPhone, I'm like, this is cool. And I used it a lot. And then I got my, uh, my iPad. And I'm like, okay, this is awesome. And I realized I really stopped using my iPhone as an information device. Uh, because it was just too small. And I haven't upgraded yet from a 3GS, so I'm, I don't have the retina or anything like that, and maybe that's half the problem. But I've seen a lot of people, and I remember this for me, it would be really nice to have that smaller device, smaller than an iPad, but that is purely a data device. And may, maybe it's me being anti-convergence, and I am so... I've just I, I like having devices which do one thing really really well rather than try to do a lot of things really really poorly um and i I think it has a market i mean it it, i think there'll be people i mean seven inches becomes the type of device that you actually carry with you and it goes from being kind of maybe what you're taking notes in a meeting to being your gps in your car to i don't know what but it's 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 a neat size, and I, I think actually uh, some of the Android and stuff in that space is done pretty well as well. And see, I'm I'm with Scott on this. I don't know. I think they're chasing somebody. I don't know who they're chasing. Uh, maybe it's they're chasing Amazon. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't see that necessarily. But um, I, I would somewhat agree where yeah, it's this is. <laughs> This is them chasing somebody. Or well, something. and I think the thing is, is that they've they've already got the touch, and they've got the iPhone, and now they've got the iPad. And I, I guess it's like, to me, the the seven inch or the nine inch, it's not enough of a difference in between there. I I think that if I'm gonna, I would love to have everything in one device. I don't like carrying more than one device. Okay. So if my iPhone did everything in the world, I. That would just be fantastic. I don't know that that seven inch is like, oh, now I'm gonna carry this around when I wouldn't have. But again, that's you know, that's what these guys have got marketing company firms that they hire and they do you know focus studies and all that stuff. So I, I guess they know what they're doing. You think? Yeah, right. They've made they've made a little more money in their lives than I have. Well, they've also. I mean, let's let's be honest here. The last time Steve Jobs left, God rest his soul. Um, he had to come back to save it. So yeah, I'm not saying that, that Tim Cook doesn't know what he's doing. It's just I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> you know, I, it's just, I, I love the classic things. I remember when I was, I was working at a, a private school here in Maine, and those first iMacs came out, and they didn't have floppy drives. And the world flipped out. You know, what? these guys are idiots. What are they doing? There's no floppy drive. And within like a year, there were no floppy drives anywhere. You know, people just stopped using them, and that was this example of Apple leading rather than following. And so, you know, I, I just I wish I'd still see them doing something like that. Yeah, and maybe that's it. Maybe maybe you and I are wrong, and and they'll they'll they know what they're doing, and I don't know. So, all right, I, I think it's probably an experiment to some extent to see. I I don't get the impression that we know. You know what? What the perfect size for for uh, for tablets is? Yet, uh, you know, if there isn't even is a perfect size, but I, I think we're all sort of like, well, I might like one smaller, I might like one bigger. You know, it's it's, it's well, like this porridge is too hot and this porridge is too cold. Gosh, we, I wish we I haven't. Of, I wish I could think of the show I watched, and it this was the perfect size for a tablet, where they 
they would they put something on the table and it projected a keyboard on the table, and they you know you could type right on any table. It was like a, a holographic keyboard. It, it, it I like, think we talked about that at some we? point. All right, dude, back to the palm the the to the PDA you know universe. Um, I had a palm that you could have an adaptation uh, an adapter that did that too. Uh, it was a it was some sort of captive. Um, Oh good lord! How did it work? I forgot how it worked. But it, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an, it was a keyboard image on the on the table. Right. Well, and so I mean, I think that that's where you know that'd be really. And again, who knows? Maybe in five years they will. But it'd be really cool if there was just something really different about these things now. You know, it, it, that's the thing. Like all of these tablets are essentially the same. Well, you know, for it, it's all a personal sort of thing, you know. For further solidifying my position as the luddite of the group, I I have a Droid Three, which is a, a a slider smartphone with with the physical keypad underneath because I like a real keypad. You know, it's like what a novel concept. You had a sidekick, oh, so- didn't you? <laughs> Come clean. I, I I actually I had one of those old sharp or uh, Casios. Wow. Casios, the fold open with a little uh, LCD screen. Yeah, I still have it someplace. Wow. Well, Scott, Scott, I was going to say what you were bringing up though, which is they're all the same. And I, I actually the reason I'd like to see an Apple seven inch is because the differentiator that I'm seeing is the apps. And right now. And I've not really got into Android, but I have a sizable investment in uh, iTunes apps. So being able to take what I already own and use it in a form factor, which I think would be better for me, is kind of where I'm looking. And, and, and I think that, that that's, a, that's a solid point, Matt, except that, that if some of that is the fact that, that Apple has a running head start, that's why you mm-hmm. that's where the, the, the ecosystem is, right? Oh yeah. Um, I think the the more that Android becomes ubiquitous and they get a bigger market share, you're going to have. There's going to be a point there where there's going to be as many or more um, of Android um, developers than there is than is Apple, and and some of that is going to be uh, going to these guys that you have you know invested their your hard earned money into oh. the Apple version and say, hey, um, you have an Android, can I? Can I get that at like a discount or maybe at no cost to me or something like that? I don't know. Well, and actually to help us transition to our next story, don't count Microsoft out. Um, Very well done. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, that was almost like professional. It was. <laughs> it's, I, I, I actually think we will be surprised by how quickly with Windows 8 we see adoption in the tablet space. I, I won't say the same for the rest of the Windows 8 space, but I think there's a lot of people, traditionally, you, your, your traditional enterprise people, your people who are just Microsofties, who really will adopt the, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the Surface, but one of the, uh, one of the Windows 8 tablets. Are you saying from an education or enterprise standpoint or just overall people in general? I, I think, and I, I may get bashed about this, but there is somewhat of a uh, silent majority of people who really do enjoy a Microsoft operating environment, and it's what they know. And Microsoft has frankly sucked at the tablet game up until now, 
but their new interface is actually much more about the tablet, frankly, than the enterprise. And I could also see a lot of enterprise people saying, hey, I have all these custom apps, which we've developed in a Windows environment. With, with a little bit of portability, I can now move them into a mobile situation. So they can start issuing enterprise mobile devices. And while I know BYOD is a huge thing, I know there's a lot of companies, not necessarily higher education, but you know, corporate, who would definitely say, I just want to hand you your tablet and be mm -hmm. done with it. I don't want you to pick your own. And see, I think that there's even even from a education standpoint, there there are those, you know, CTOs that would rather hand you your own. Well uh, that that BYOD is driving them nuts. And I, I think we talked about this on an earlier show, but uh Seton Hall you know, got in bed with Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, and I'd love to hear like, like their six-month or tw or twelve-month case study on how their you know Windows uh, tablet launch and all their Windows eight stuff has worked out for them. I would too. Yeah, and you know that there's there is something to be said for for Microsoft at least from that that aspect. Actually, if you if you believe the Steve Jobs book, <laughs> we can thank Microsoft for the iPad in a weird roundabout way. Um, if you haven't read the book, the story goes there's a Microsoft employee that uh, invited Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates to dinner and, and was going on and on about this this tablet that they were developing and that that, that Apple should should partner with, with Microsoft and da 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 and isn't this stylus great? And Steve Jobs said, Screw that. Um, <laughs> you don't need no stinking stylus. Let me show you how it's really done and, and there's the iPad and the iPhone. So you should read the book though. It's very fascinating. <laughs> so um, we're going to kind of wrap this up, guys, with a couple really kind of interesting stories. One is, is our, about our buddy, uh, Matt Silverman. Uh, but first, uh, Infocom has a new CEO. Yay! <laughs> I'm going to butcher his name just like I did last week. I, I apologize. David. Cue the hail to the chief clip. Dun, 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 dun. David Labuskis? Labuski. Labuski. Thank you. Um, Labuski. Um, he was named the new uh, Infocom CEO. Um, anything here, guys? Good, bad, indifferent? Yay, we have a new leader in, in you know, uh, illustrious leader. Um, I actually got to meet him very briefly at the Infocom 100. Personally, he seems like just a great guy. Um, what's really neat is you look at his background. While he's been in the AV profession for a while, He's actually very much entrenched in uh, IT as well, both with uh, Bixi and uh, TIA. And uh, I know from the people on the standard side, he's actually been a volunteer uh, with another a number of Infocom standards committees, including uh, the upcoming one on uh, unified automation and control. Oh, so uh, he's definitely someone who I think is at is going to lead us where we need to go. Very cool. Yeah, I think having that, that IT background is certainly going to going to help. I, I, I think would, that's I, a good direction, yeah. I like the fact that in his official announcement, uh, talking about who you know, different groups in uh, Infocom, he actually recognized technology managers. So I thought that was a uh, – it shows some progress we've made in the organization. And um, Well, he's not officially part of Infocom yet, right? So – he can well, still not do until that. January first. I mean, well, no, actually, was it next month? This month? That, I, then he'll forget all. And, and, yeah, he's starting his onboarding end of November, I think. Greg's just jaded and. Oh uh, yeah, jeez, come on, Greg. <laughs> um, all right, uh, a couple weeks ago, 
Who me? Back in Vegas, thankfully, uh, the uh, there was a, a conference there, and it was called the CCUMC, and our buddy Mr. Matthew Silverman uh, presented at there. Uh, also, just kind of give us a, a heads up uh, what CCUMC is, what the event was, and, and how people can get involved. The website, by the way, because we'll put a link for this as well, is CCUMC.org. Uh, yeah, CCUMC is the Consortium of College and University Media Centers, and it's a really great group um, of folks who do what we do. They provide uh, technology support, particularly audiovisual support, uh, to uh, colleges and universities. I'd say there's three main demos that I've seen in the group. It's technology managers, it's library media folks. And it's also instructional designers. And it's a really interesting just, I, I guess, group of folks because you get to look at the same issue from many different perspectives. A lot of great presentations on uh, audiovisual management were there. A lot of co uh, conversation actually about copyright. That's a very hot topic right now. And really, it's just a good opportunity. It's mostly, I'd say, management and even, you know, some uh, higher level positions getting a chance to come together and talk. And if your, your university isn't affiliated with it, I strongly, strongly encourage everyone to take a look at becoming a member. Um, and they have a great listserv, which is a closed listserv, which has some of the frankest, even franker for those of people who are on AV1. Um, I've actually seen some really good, just honest conversations there. So it's, it's a great organization to be a part of. They have a, um, annual conference every year in the fall. Uh, there's a webinar, uh, in the spring, this spring, it's actually going to be on, uh, mobile devices and it's going to be two university case studies. So that should be interesting. And there's a lot of other good stuff that's starting to go on with them as well. Very cool. Uh, all right, and last but not least, you have a new website, my friend. Yes, I do. Um, actually, <laughs> a, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chris Netto, uh, <laughs> tweeted it before you were ready for him to do so. Um, but uh, it is called the AV, the Audiovisual Body of Knowledge, uh, and kind of p tell people where they can find it and what it is. Sure. The uh, website is avbok.com, avbok. Uh, for those who are not familiar, that's kind of like PIMBOK, uh, Project Management Body of Knowledge. Uh, this is a project that came out of actually last year's CCUMC conference where everyone kept on asking me, well, where do you get your resources or where do you get your links? And so what I did is I put together, I launched it actually as one of my presentations this year at CCUMC. It's basically a resource site. The idea is if you need to find something related to audiovisual, uh, some training, a trade association, some research, hopefully as we start growing the site, um, it, it'll be available to you. Right now we have about 100 links on the site. Uh, we also have a uh, human curated uh, news feed uh, where people are tagging uh, AV stories of interest. And the big part about this is it's uh, it's it's really a completely human curated site. So we're not doing you know automated link posts. Someone will actually make sure what's going in there uh, is a value. It's also something that I'd really love to open up to the community if people are interested in helping to grow uh, this site. We'd love to have people aboard. Uh, right now, it's myself and uh, B. Bagby from um, Virginia Western Community College who are kind of getting it started. But 
I hope over the next year to really grow it and be a great resource for the industry. Very cool. All right, that's avbok.com, avbok.com. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us this this, this month, guys. Uh, with us, as always, has been Greg Brown from UCLA. How can people find out about you or follow you or find out uh, more about you? Let's see. Let's see. Twitter is avgreg. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I am a blogger on Infocom's All Voices website. Yay! Uh <laughs> Also with us is Scott Tyner. He is from Bates College. Uh, tell people how they can find out about you and, and more about you, sir. Well, despite the fact that, that Greg's the Luddite here, I, I'm not – you can't follow me. That's you true. Me. I'm just – I'm here in Maine if you need me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Should we, should we get our sled dog team and come Let's after send you? Send a raven. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the winter has come. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm no, on, you, you I'm on book two now. Dog for, you don't need a sled dog for another month. You can still get to him via snowmobile right now. <laughs> yes. No, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, you can there you go, there. LinkedIn. There we, we have something that we can connect with Mr. Tyner. So, uh, And last but not least, um, our superstar of the group is Matthew Silverman. <laughs> uh, how can people find you uh, beyond the, the avbok.com? Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's M Silver M. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, and also my, I guess, kind of uh, blog, which really needs some new content. It's uh, nextedutech.com. Uh, Very cool. Uh, all right, my name is Tim Albright. If you'd like to follow me and my stuff, uh, it is T D. Albright, Tim David Albright on Twitter, but more importantly for me and everybody here at AV Nation, please go by the website avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find podcasts uh, like this one, only with different uh, emphases. We have only better, huh? Only better, right? Um, eh, better, different. You know, same difference. Actually, I have been getting people on LinkedIn just occasionally saying, "Hey, you know, I heard the show and I really loved it." So, oh, uh, very cool. Yes, thank thank you for thank you for listening, all thirty seven of you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, th- there's there's the the live uh, staging and, and rental show, which is called the Live Life. We have one uh, about DIY, which incidentally this month they're talking about beer. So if you like beer, you should listen to it. <laughs> talking about how to how to homebrew and stuff like that. So yeah, we have uh, various different ones. And then, of course, we have our weekly, which is called AV Week. So check it out if you would, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening to EdTech.